Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, I'm excited about this year that uh, as we are completing what God has called us to do within church to rise. It, it's been a, it's been an unusual season to say the least of everything that we have experienced and, and everything that we have uh, been dealing with as a church and, and as a body of Christ. When I say church, I'm talking referring mainly to the body of Christ. And uh, we we've gone through some things in our nation. We've gone through some things in our our uh, locality here in in our area. And and I just I'm just amazed sometimes. How the enemy is always trying to distract us from what God is, is doing. And, and we have to stay focused no matter what. And, and it seems like things sometimes don't always go the way you think it should go. But I know this, that the church has been under attack. The, the body of Christ has been under attack. And uh, it, it's like a, a, there's been a, a real release by the kingdom of darkness against the church. Which is okay because we're, we're talking about the, the wrapped, being wrapped in the favor of God and the grace of God today. And where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we get so caught up in the moment we forget that it's not about the moment, it's about eternity. And sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves we forget that it's not about us, but it's about the one that we serve. Amen. And, and so, you know, today we want to enter into this is our, our teaching and, and begin to share some things with you that I believe is pertinent as we get ready for the end of the year, as we, as we move, in, and move into this particular season, if you will, in, in the church's life. And, and I, I want you all to kind of take some notes, and we're going to deal with some spiritual cows today as we talk about the term of grace, a term of grace. Traditional teaching of grace is as an unmerited favor. Don't you love that term? It sounds really good, unmerited. God's favor is unmerited. And we've accepted that as a church. We've accepted that as a, as a lifestyle. And uh, that, in other words, we get something for nothing. The reality is that grace is not unmerited. And I'll share some things in a few moments. Mercy is what is unmerited. Mercy is what's showed to someone when they aren't deserving. It's shown someone who can't do it for themselves, who can't help themselves. And so mercy is, thank God for mercy. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by God's mercy are we saved. Now, here's the point. When you receive Jesus Christ, Jesus gives to us grace. I said he gives to us grace. In the book of John, in chapter 1, we, we see in, in John chapter 1, if we put that up on the screen, please. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's important we understand that. The Word in verse 14, now look at verse 14 here. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now it's really important you get a hold of the fact that Jesus, the living Word, came and took on the form of mankind. The incarnation of God came in the form of flesh. That when Jesus came in the form of flesh, contrary to what some people want to try and teach, Jesus didn't come to be the Son of God. He came to be the Son of Man. The Son of God took on flesh. 
to be the Son of Man. Now, there was a real important issue for that, which we'll get into that in the new year, which I can't go there because Sean's on the front seat. But, <clears throat> but, Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus took on the form of mankind because there was, a, there was a, an assignment that was given to Christ, that Jesus was to come and to live and to minister, and he was to die but he also was to be resurrected. That's important we understand that because there was a price that had to be paid. Over in 1 Peter, he says this. He says that by the shed blood of Christ, we have been redeemed. The precious blood of Christ, we've been redeemed. Now, it's important we get a hold of that side of it because it says that Jesus had to shed his blood. Now, the unique thing about the, the, the man Jesus, the physical man Jesus, the flesh man Jesus, is that he never entered into sin. So his blood was pure. And he took that which was pure. In fact, the word precious is that you cannot, it is so valuable you cannot put a price tag on it. That he bought us, he paid for our redemption with his blood. Now, another thing for us to, to kind of get into our mindset, because when we get into all of this uh, unmerited stuff, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus gave his life so you and I could be redeemed. In Jesus, we know that he was the living word made flesh and dwelt among us and full of grace. So when I receive Jesus, Jesus is made unto me grace. The question is, then what is grace? If grace is not unmerited, what is grace? The Bible says in the book of Luke that Jesus, as he began to grow as a young man, as he matured spiritually, he, he grew spiritually and in grace. So we know if anybody deserved grace, it was Jesus. You can't say that Jesus didn't merit grace. He was sinless. It's important we understand that. We've taught this in the church like we got this free ride. We, we have this idea that because I, I you know, that I... I, I can come before God, God doesn't want any to perish. And so we teach the, the mindset of grace to the church that we don't have to do anything. Like grace is a free ticket to do nothing but still go to heaven. But the Bible says grace is an empowerment for your faith. Well, faith without works is dead. So grace cannot be about doing nothing. Grace is about empowerment. I said it's about empowerment upon, and the influence of God upon mankind. Now, when we go to look at this particular process, if you will, we need to begin to understand certain things. It's, in the New Testament, it's the, or the Old Testament is favor, is pleasant, is precious, uh, if you will, in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's divine influence, present tense of God upon the heart and its reflections in that life. To do that which is right and proper. Pleasant and precious through gracious manner, an act of the believer. In other words, grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be what God created you to be and do what God called you to do. Now, that, that, that's a funny thing to some of us because here's what we did really go through life we, re, we struggle with is that God has called each and every one of us to purpose. God creates nothing without purpose of mind. Important we understand that. God creates nothing without design. God creates nothing without purpose. Get that in your spirit. So when you were formed in your mother's womb before your mother even saw you, 
before the foundations of the world were laid and God called you, he brought you into this world with a promotion. Somebody say purpose. See, there's a reason for you being here. The sad part is, is most people never discover their purpose. They never discover their purpose. They go through life doing all kinds of things, not understanding why they're doing it. Most of us today, our concept of purpose is called survival. That I can make enough money, that I can buy what I want to buy, I can eat what I want to eat and live where I want to live. We want to survive. Well, that's not purpose. Survival is not purpose. We know this, you can, you can go anywhere in the world and find that everybody's trying to survive. Purpose is there's a reason why you're here. And Bible says that each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made by God because he has something that you are supposed to be responsible for. Now, that's something we don't like. See, a lot of people don't want to believe in God because they don't want to be responsible. We hate responsibility. You know, we, we just want to go through life not being responsible. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The kid fails a test in school and he says the teacher's too hard. Well, I just didn't want to be responsible enough to study. Oh, come on, stay with me. I'm mad at my employer because he won't give me a raise. Of course, I've not been responsible enough to be there early and work late and do what others will not do. That's why maybe I got bypassed. Oh, don't, don't shout me down. See, it's called responsibility. My marriage isn't working because you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. My husband doesn't understand because you do not do what God called you to do, which is surround God. He, he skillfully handcrafted you to surround and aid your husband with assistance, not be griping and complaining. Well, no, I didn't get an amen out of any woman here. <laughs> not one single woman's given me an amen. You, you, you amen when he talked about the men, but we get to the women, you go, not me, man. I ain't right. That's his problem, not mine. It's called responsibility, ladies. We go through life, do not, we do not want to. But, and so we've taken the term of grace, the favor of God that he has wrapped us in through Jesus Christ. And we've made it into something that God never intended it for me. Grace is an empowerment so that you can go forth and find and fulfill your purpose. And it's a very unique about purpose. See, we have a tendency to look at people and, and, and we want their purpose to line up with our purpose. And when their purpose doesn't line up with our purpose, then we get upset. You understand. It's real important that we, that we see these things. That purpose is, is what God intended for you. And once you fulfill your purpose, then God says, now you're ready to rule and reign with me. Oh, look at quietness has hit the place. Then you're ready to rule and reign with me. See, look at a person next to you and say, we're on a trial run right now. <laughs> same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. What does he do? He quickens your mortal body. Oh, come on, Lord, help me here. Well, what does he quicken your mortal body for? For your irresponsibility? For your unwillingness to walk in purpose? Or does he quicken you for purpose and responsibility? Jesus was, he, his grace of God upon his life was released when he operated in his purpose. Now, that's important. And when he had finished his purpose, 
He was resurrected from the dead and he took his seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' purpose came from the from before the, the birth all the way to the grave and after the grave and the resurrection. But he walked in purpose. In other words, he walked in empowerment. Now, it's really important because many of us, we, we look at this thing and we have a tendency not to really understand it. But we know that Jesus is the one that gives us grace. He is the giver of grace. God gives grace to who? Go to James chapter 4, verse 6. God gives grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. More grace. And he gives more grace. Who does he give more grace to? He gives it to the humble. Now, we don't understand humility. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Our concept of humility is just stupid. I'm just being honest with you. Our concept of humility is we're going to lay low and we're going to let everybody run over us. That's not humility. That's just dumb. Well, Jesus was humble. I know, but he didn't lay low and let them run over him. Listen, Jesus, he, when it came time, he, he ran them out of the temple with, with a cord of whips. See, he wasn't real religious. That's the problem. Most of us get so religious, we, we don't know how to operate in the kingdom principles. Because we're so caught up with our tradition of the past rather than the future that God has for us. Come on, stay with me on this now. So he says, if you walk in humility, what is humility? Humility is your submission to the will of God. I say it's your submission to the will of God. That's true biblical humility. In other words, I believe what God said. I do what God said. I act on what God said. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter what I thought. It's what God said. I learned to die to self in order that Christ may live. It's called humility. There, our concept of humility in the church is that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to. Well, let me ask you something. If God's purpose for you to be here and you now are going to humble yourself according to the world system underneath somebody who wasn't designated to be here, then what you've done is you've just sold God short. And that's where most Christians are. We sell God short. Come on, stay with me, folks. You say, well, I don't know about that, Bishop. Well, we can look at a few things here. Because, again, I, I'm going someplace this morning. But if you don't get these things right, we're, we're, we're going to be in trouble for the rest of this series as we get into it. I'll tell you that right now. When we talk about humility, humility is accepting what God has said and what God has, has, has uh, purposed for us to do. Ephesians 1.6, he says we're accepted in the beloved. Colossians 2.10, you're complete in Christ. Galatians 2.20, you're crucified with Christ. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.18, you've been reconciled to God. 1 John 5.4, you overcome the world. Ephesians 1.3, all spiritual blessings have been given unto you. Matthew 5.13, you're salt and you're light. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you're the righteousness of God. 2 Peter 1.4, you're partaker of his divine nature. 2 Timothy 1.9, you're called of God. Ephesians 1.3, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and you're a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Revelations 21 and 7, you're more than victorious. 1 Peter 1.23, you're born of incorruptible seed. Romans 8.14, you're the sons and daughters of God. 8.16, you're the children of God. Revelation 1.6, you're kings and priests. 1 Peter 2.9, chosen generation. And Colossians 3.12, you are beloved of God. Talk to me about humility. I know some of you take notes. Don't worry about it. Get on YouTube. 
I said all of that so you'd understand, not so you take notes on it, but you can look that up for yourself, those scriptures. But why, why would we do that? Did you know that once you become a Christian, that God never mentions your sin again? And we walk around talking about, well, you know, I, I'm just not living like I should. Oh, really? Glad God's loving like he, like he said he would, in spite of the way you're living. Once you receive Christ, God never mentions your sin again. He speaks more of our position than our condition. There's more scripture about who we are in Christ in our position than our, and yet we walk around and look at our condition. I failed here. I failed. God knew you were going to fail. That's why he said when you fail, recognize it, confess it, and I'll forgive you and cleanse you. Quit living in your failure and start looking at your future. That's what grace is all about. Grace is never about where you've been. It's about where you're headed. It's empowerment to be what he created you to be and do what he called you to do. Unfortunately, the church has taught us to see ourselves as sinners that are trying to improve. But God sees us in heavenly places with Jesus. Fascinating. The world wants us to understand that we're hopeless debtors to God. <laughs> hopeless debtors to God. Even though the price has been paid because in James 2.5, it says we're heirs of salvation. The, the church, the religious world wants us to look at the fact that we're the unprofitable servants of God. But the Song of Solomon says we're unspotted. The Bible teaches us that while we have been separated from God through Jesus, we now are no longer lost sinners, but we now have become the bride of Christ. I wrote this down. Learn to accept divine instruction, not self-introspection. Come to heavenly evaluation and not human estimation. We're so concerned what somebody else thinks of us that we're willing to get away from purpose. And when you get away from purpose, you deactivate the power of grace in your life. But when you operate in purpose, you activate just the opposite. You activate the empowering presence of God in your life. Most Christians are unhappy, even though Jesus says, I, I will give you the joy, the joy of the Lord you can have. It will give you strength. But most Christians walk without any power because they have no joy. Because we allow circumstance to control us rather than destiny to become our goal. As we, as we look at these things, we begin to understand that, that through the grace of God, look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It talks about what Christ did through us through grace. That for you know that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the verse today. Next week we're going to really explore that verse. But I want you to see something here. It says, through the empowering presence of God that was upon the life of Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. I was looking in my commentaries this, this morning. I was up and, and reading and studying and meditating. And I'm fascinated how traditionally our commentaries are on these biblical verses. 
First off, the word rich there, it deals with physical riches. It doesn't deal with spiritual riches. Most of us believe, and I've preached this for years, I'm guilty, that Jesus gave up his riches in glory. My, 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 my. And I'm not going to get a new year. I know we're headed that direction. We're not. They teach you that Jesus was poor, that Jesus had no place to stay. And so we justify poverty and almost enshrine it that the least we have, the more spiritual we are. That's how we've taught it. And the minute somebody gets up and teaches on prosperity, we go, eh. Got to go against them. They're teaching something that's not of God. God doesn't want everybody to prosper because you don't understand prosperity. Prosperity is not about dollars and cents. It's about being successful at what you do. I'm to prosper in what I'm doing. If I'm a teacher, I'm the best teacher. If I'm a carpenter, I'm the best carpenter. If I'm a doctor, I'm the best doctor. If I'm a lawyer, I'm the best lawyer. I'm successful at what I do. What is prosperity? It said when the righteous are in authority. The word righteous is when the righteous are pushing forward and are prospering, the people rejoice. Why? Because you can never be an influence unless you are prosperous or you are successful. Nobody listens to failures. We're supposed to be the salt and the light, but how do we do that? Through the empowering presence of God upon our lives. Jesus through the empowering presence of God, gave up his, and the word riches there, it is tangible, physical riches in the original Greek. See, we don't want to, we, we've been brought in the the church so much, we didn't want to go study. Well, where did that come from with Jesus? Well, let me see. Jesus, as a little boy, had a whole group of magi, or learned men, or Wise men or kings come to his house and give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let me see. If I took 500 of the richest men and women in the nation and said, I want you to go to their house and I want you to give out of your riches to them, what do you think position that would leave you in? Come on, stay with me, church. What position would that leave you in? You'd have a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we, our problem, and you've heard me teach it before, and I don't want to get into all this stuff, but come on, three wise men, get, get over it, church. That's tradition. There was no such thing as three wise Somebody wrote a song, and we made it bet Bible. We three kings of Orion are. Really? And it has to be a black king? It has to be an oriental king and it has to be a white king because we want to make sure that we are politically correct. Well, they were neither one. They were brown. Know the country they were from. See, again, we let the world woke system get involved in us so much so that we want to be so politically correct that we even lie about the people who come to see Jesus. And then each one brings a little box. Don't you love their little boxes they bring? Do you know anything about history? They did not show up with little boxes. 
Because you see, every king brought what represented them. Now you understand, just, just as an example, if Bella said, I'm going to give what represents me, and that would be a sacrifice, but it wouldn't compare to what I would give what represents me. Oh, come on, stay with me, folks. So I wonder of these kings, these these magi, over 500 showed up, and they gave, each one gave what represented them. I wonder how much stuff was on that porch. And by the way, when they said Jesus had no place to lay his head, he came out as a little boy out of his house to see them, and they all bowed down and worshiped him. That is a myth that's been taught by the church that is not biblical. He said, I have no place to lay my head because he gave up his riches took on poverty so that he could be a witness to, uh, to the world and, and, and be able to preach. He walked away from his riches, took on poverty of man. Why? Because he had to redeem man from the very thing he had to take upon himself. I don't have time to get into the crown of thorns today. It's another teaching altogether. But they tried to crown him as the king of poverty for that crown of thorns. And he took it. Why? Because in his redemption, he redeemed it. Glory to God. Glory to God. So Jesus took that on himself. And we'll get into a little bit of that next week because we're going to get a little bit of the crowns too. But it's important for us to see something here. That grace gave him the ability to walk through what everybody thought was loss into what everybody thought it was going to be just terrible to come out the other side and be victorious. See, grace will give you the ability to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Grace will give you the ability to face the, the enemy and the whole thing. Grace will give you the ability that in the midst of the storm and your boat is sinking, you know that's okay because if God be for me, who's against me? The grace of God, the favor of God that I've been wrapped in, that if I will walk by faith and not by sight, I will see God's grace empower me to endure the most difficult moments of my life because I'm walking in purpose. Hmm. We see over in Acts 4.33, if we would turn that page on there on the screen, if you would please, Acts 4.33, that verse. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. If you're taking notes, write this down, that grace and the grace of God and the power of God go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. I said you cannot have one without the other. Why? So you can deal with the circumstances that life places in you or before you. We understand that grace is given to, for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 3.10. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 3 and 10. Let me pull that up. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed 
how he builds on it. In other words, according to the grace of God which is given to me, the grace of God which has empowered me to do what he called me to do as an apostle and build upon this foundation of Jesus. If I'm going to be victorious no matter where I am in life, I don't care what I do in life. If I understand purpose and grace, then I know God will empower me to be the best husband I can be, to be the best father I can be, to be the best grandfather I can be, to be the best pastor I can be. He empowers. Why? Because I'm not living in myself. I'm allowing God to live through me. And God says, I did not design you so that you would be losing. I designed you so you would have success. Jesus came that you might have life who's made unto you grace or empowerment, and you might have it till it overflows borders so that the world you are in will see your good works and glorify me. It's called grace. Grace is empowerment. Grace for victory. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I exalt above measure. Let's read that again. Let's read it according to the word of God and not according to what man and tradition has said. See, our concept is that God did this because Paul, he didn't want him to be prideful. But if you anything understand anything about Paul, listen to his writings. It's not I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Paul is always talking about that. I, in myself, I can't do what I'm doing. But because of Christ in me, he never exalted himself. This exaltation above all measure by the abundance of the revelations, it, the thorn in the flesh was given as a messenger from Satan that was sent forth to try and discredit Paul. See, the moment a man of God goes through something difficult, the world says, see, they must not have been God. Fascinating, isn't it? And we make excuses because then we feel better about ourselves. But the reality is Satan is always assigning messengers to discredit us. But the person of purpose can never be discredited because they've created a legacy for the future. Oh, God help me here. A person of purpose can never be discredited because they've created a legacy for themselves in the future. And that drives the enemy crazy. That no matter what happened to Christ on the cross, his resurrection left a legacy that today we're still enjoying. No matter what happened to Paul, and his head was put on a block and chopped off. His legacy lives on because he was a man of purpose and he operated in the empowerment of grace that he was what God created him to be and he did what God called him to do. So no matter what the enemy does to discredit, it cannot take away from the destiny that the man or woman of God has set in place because of God's grace upon their lives. And he walks with us and he talks with us and he, and, and he tells us we're not alone. And it's so easy, though, 
to let the messenger from Satan come along and try and discredit. The messenger of Satan come along and say, see, God doesn't care. No, what God cares about is the future, not the present. God cares not about what I'm doing today, but about what I did today, how it's going to affect the future of those that hear what I'm saying. We're so hung up in ourselves. We really think we're all that, don't we? That's the reason he said we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is the reason he said we need to learn to die to self in order that Christ can live. Let's get off of this this me, myself, and I. Let, let, let's get off of this self-evaluation. Let, let, let's get off of this traditional nonsense and see what the Word of God literally says. And let's live accordingly. Let's go back to chapter 12, verse 7. Put that back on the screen. I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan. So what's the thorn in the flesh? It's a message from Satan. It's a demonic spirit. Lest I be exalted above measure. Lest I, I, people begin to lift me up. Next verse. Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Next verse. Next verse. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Oh, I love this. Now, now, what's the traditional definition? My unmerited favor is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities or my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, if I use that definition that my God, God's grace upon my life, by the grace of God in my life, the unmerited favor of God is sufficient that I cannot live the rest of this verse. But when I live it, that, my, my, that, that God's power upon my life for me to be what he created me to be and do what he called me to do, that, that for my strength, it's made perfect when I realize I died of self. It's not I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast. I would rather boast in my inability in the natural that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a fascinating story. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I said, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul talks about the fact that in his ministry, and I love it, he says some really unique things. He says, I've been beaten three times with rods. I've been shipwrecked. I've been snake bitten. I've been stoned. Funny, isn't it? So tell me again your problem. Think about it. What could your problem possibly be? When's the last time you got snake bitten for the gospel? Paul said, my purpose, i got to finish this first. The only time Paul succumbed to death is when he said, 
I've finished my race. I've obtained my prize. Then picture, picture this. Here's the Apostle Paul. They take him in. They strap him up. They take the rods and they beat him. Now, I don't know how to tell you this. It hurt. He was beaten and bruised. I'm sure his skin was, was, was broken. I'm sure he was bloody. But when he walked out, he says, but I have empowerment that no matter what they did here, they can't stop this here. My God. He's, he's shipwrecked. And the people are all going, we're going to die in the storm. And he says, no, we're not going to die. Because you've got to understand, I've had an angel of the Lord come talk to me. And we're going to be okay because I have God's empowerment in me to be what he created me and do what he called me to do. And I haven't finished my race yet. They take Paul, who's preaching the gospel, and they take him outside the city, <laughs> and they stone him. Now, you have to understand, you go back and study history, they didn't hit him with pebbles. I was in my yard yesterday, and we'd redone some things in our landscaping and stuff, and they had removed some rocks, but in this one area, they still had a few of these little, little rocks, you know. So I had to pick those rocks up and throw them. And I'm looking at them because I know where I'm going today. But my message, I'm looking, I'm going, that's not what they did with Jesus. They didn't hit him with pebbles. If you've ever been to Israel, you understand that it's all rocks over there. But the concept was that they would take this person that, that they, would, they would say was a heretic to them. And, it was, and it's funny, it was the... It was the uh, it was the religious people who did this, kind of like today. The religious people do that to us. They like to stone us. You know, when we don't live up to their religious thought mindset, that they want to stone us and tell us how bad we are and we're all going to hell and we're all going to do this. They're always throwing stuff at us. You, you know what I'm talking about. If you had any stones thrown at you, then God help you because that means you're doing nothing. And it's usually religious people throwing the stones. So they take him outside the city and they start stoning him. Now, again, you've got to get this in your mindset. They had a multitude of people taking stones and hitting him. Can you imagine what it would be like to be hit in the head or to be hit in the face some way? If anybody's ever had any kind of injury, you know what I'm talking about here. If you ever been hit with anything, you know what I'm talking about here. And it's worse than a fist. And so you know there was all kinds of problems going on there. His eyes were swelling. His body was getting, getting beaten and bruised and, and ripped open. And, and here's the point is they kept stoning him till he fell down on the ground. And then they would keep stoning him until you could no longer see him. In other words... It was a sign to whoever went in that city that heretic is going. If you're a heretic, this is what's going to happen to you. It became an instant grave. An instant grave. And so they stoned him and they went back into the city. But somewhere underneath all of those rocks, 
the empowering presence of God was in him that said, it's time to go back into the city. Your job's not done. And all of a sudden, you begin to see these rocks. You almost can see them moving a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And, and somewhere in there, you see this bloody hand pushing forward. And out of it, as they get pulled, all of a sudden, you can see the head and you see the torso. And, and, and you see Paul coming up out of this thing with his body beaten beyond measure because of these rocks, bloody beyond measure. He might, it doesn't say, but he might even have some broken bones. But he had something going on inside of him called the grace of God. The empire. It wasn't unmerited favor. It was empowerment that he said, listen, this you got to understand. And, and let me say this to you. Paul saw his future. He knew there was coming a day that his life would be given up, but it would not be given up because of what the enemy did to him. It would be given up because his purpose had been completed. Now, that's hard for some of us to deal with, why some die and some don't. But understand something. Purpose by God always has empowerment by grace that releases the power that will cause you to overcome every obstacle until you have fulfilled that which establishes your destiny. Everybody say grace. So the question we have to deal with this morning isn't what your circumstance is. It isn't even what you're going to face or haven't faced yet. But it's what is your purpose. Isn't that amazing? I said, what is your purpose? What is the reason? We started today off with this particular thought. What is the reason for you being here? He says in the book of Ephesians that he gave grace to the apostles for them to fulfill their purpose. He says in the book of Romans that by grace all men is given the measure of faith that they may operate in the gift that God has called them to. See, most people never discover their purpose because they refuse to let God have their gift. Grace can never empower the individual unless they're willing to give their gift to honor God. But when you're willing to put your gift in, and I, now listen, hear what I'm going to say to you. Not the religious group, because the religious group, they're just going to throw you on a pile of rocks and they're through using you and go on. But I'm talking about as an individual. My life is not, I don't, and I know this bothers people at times when I say this, but I'm not here trying to have you like me. I don't care if you like me or not. I mean, it's nice if you like me. But I really don't give a flip. It's not because I've learned I've learned who I am in Christ, and I've learned that as long as I'm doing what God has called me to do, and I'm fulfilling my purpose, grace is manifesting in my life for my destiny. And and, and, if, and if you don't like me, and I change because you don't like me, now I've given up my purpose for your will. 
So I'm no longer walking humbly before God. I got to walk humbly before God with his purpose and will. Do I want people to like me? Yes. Do I want people to love me? Yes. Do I want people to accept me? Yes. But I'm going to stand before God not based upon what you think, but based upon what he said. Come on, folks. Stay with me now. So we're going back to this thing of, of, of grace empowerment activated as we walk by faith. Faith is based upon doing that which God has called us to do called purpose. Purpose, important we get this, purpose is the reason for, a reason why, when we discover what our purpose or our gift is to be used for or why, now we release value. I said, now we release value. You never release value unless you understand purpose. Because if you don't understand purpose, the value that you've established will be lost. (laughs) Because it's not founded in what God has set in place for your life. But if my purpose creates value wherever I go, so God can be glorified, then my purpose can never be lost and my destiny can never be altered. So my question to you today, you want the grace of God activated in your life? You want to shake the snake off of your life? You want to crawl up underneath the rocks the world's trying to throw on top of you in life? You want to walk away from the beating you've had and be restored totally that the world has brought to your life? then the way you do it is you activate your grace. And the way you activate your grace is you discover your purpose and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And as you walk humbly before God, more grace is given to you to empower you. And boy, that's tough. That's tough because you really, really, really have to get to the place that I'm going to die to self so that Christ can be lifted up. Musicians, come. Think with me a moment. What are you facing in life? What struggle are you facing? What pain are you going through? What brokenness have you faced? Don't you think it's time to say, God, not my will, but thy will, so I can crawl out from underneath this stuff? And I can walk in victory. And I can overcome. I can endure everything the enemy throws at me and still walk in success. Because I'm going to take my purpose with my gift. And by grace, empowerment, I'm going to be everything God created me to be. And do everything God called me to do. What's more important to God is not the moment of circumstance, but it's the future that your purpose carries with it. Destiny is not written by God. It's written by you. I said destiny is not written by God. It's written by you, and we struggle with that all the time. I said we struggle with that all the time. If I don't like where I'm at, that I need to go back and evaluate my purpose and my gift 
so that now I can activate God's grace in my life that I can walk in the destiny that God has set before me. We stand in this building today. In 1989, this building was built. We would ride from Coral Springs, Florida with my dad on Royal Palm Boulevard. And my dad would say, what are those Presbyterians doing building a church where we should be building? And then after they built it, he'd say, why are they in our church? That's our church. And I used to look at my dad, dad, you, you can't do this. You can't want what someone else has. I mean, come on. You know, you're, 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 you're greedy here. You're desiring what someone, that's not of God. He says, they're not supposed to be here. God called us. Now, let's go back. Now, that was in 1989, started all the way up through 2006 when he held to be with the Lord. That's a long time. That's 17 years. Every Sunday for 17 years. But watch this now. In 1977, God had healed my dad and said, I want you to go and create a church called Abundant Life church that will reach their world with life, John 10, 10. A church that will bring about a change to South Florida and reach the four corners of the earth with the gospel. <laughs> my dad's no longer here. He's with the Lord. But yet my dad's here in every service, in every sermon, and every song. It's called destiny. Oh, God, help me here. See, when you understand purpose and you use your gift for purpose, it activates grace, empowerment by which you write your destiny. Bishop Woody wrote his destiny for over 20-some years. I didn't know what he was doing. The psalmist said this, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. It's indicting a good thing that is in my heart. And Bishop was writing his destiny because he used his gift, his purpose to create what we have today. I wonder what your future looks like. I wonder what your destiny is going to be. Because it's based upon how you deal with your purpose and gift right now. But know this, God will not write your destiny. That's yours. So if you don't like where you are, you better change what you're doing. Because my destiny is based upon what God has said. And you know what God has said? Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. You know what God has said? My thoughts towards you are good thoughts. You know what God has said? He said, I'm going to bless you. And you're coming in and going out.
Now, why would he do that? So that I could be the witness of his empowering presence to the world in which I live. I've been wrapped in the favor of God, but I think it's time I started living like it. I started talking like it. I started acting like it. I'm not looking for anything that's unmerited. Everything I've got is merited because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything I am today is merited because God has ordained it. I don't know about this unmerited stuff that people like to live in, but I don't call myself unworthy because Jesus gave his blood and purchased me and established value upon my life. And what God has called valuable, I'm not going to diminish by saying it's unworthy. And if you're here today, I want you to know whether you receive Christ or not, God has called you worthy because he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God has called you worthy whether you're living for him or not because he said if you've fallen away, you can come back to me and confess and I will, I will forgive and restore you to everything that you've lost. God doesn't call you unmerited. He doesn't call you unworthy. He doesn't tell you you're, that you're a lost person. He says you have every opportunity by the blood of Jesus Christ to discover how I look at you how I receive you, how I believe in you, and how I have ordained you before the foundations of the world to be in my family. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Wrap yourself in the favor of God and not in the traditions of man. Wrap yourself in the glory and the favor of God and not in the things that the traditions have tried to bring into your life of failure. God did not create you to be lost. He created you to be his children. Glory to God. I had to tell you this. He didn't create you to be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic. He didn't create you for that. He created you to be a child of God. You write your destiny by the church affiliation you go to. I don't know how to tell some of you. Some of you are going to be really heavy. Your world rock when you get it into heaven and there's a bunch of Catholics up there. <laughs> there's there's, there's going to be some, some uh, nominal religious groups and when they get to heaven and they see all these Pentecostals speaking in tongues, they're going to go, how did that happen? Because God's not interested in that. You weren't created for religion. You were created for God. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.